And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome in to the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is the final mailbag of August. The home stretch is almost here. Plenty of races still to be decided across baseball. Tim McMaster here along with Ken Rosenthal. Thank you for giving us a listen on the Monday Mailbag. We're answering your questions. Thanks for getting them in, whether you used email or voicemail. We love it. A lot of good questions again this week. And if you are listening and you enjoy the show, we love a five-star rating. So drop one of those in Apple if you're listening there. Ken, how are you doing? Doing well, Tim. How are you? I am good, and we are recording on Saturday night. We usually record on Sunday, but your travel a little more hectic than usual. It's always hectic, but a little extra notch of hectic. But you're in Cleveland, where the Red Sox just won an extra innings over the Indians. So just to set the stage for the show, when you're you know answering questions of where we're at, that's the deal. Saturday night, the Red Sox win. The Yankees lost, so the 13-game win streak is over, although... They made it interesting in the ninth inning for sure. But the American League East remains interesting. And that's where you were, of course, with the Red Sox this weekend. Quite interesting, Tim. And we are heading full steam ahead for a wild card game pitting the Yankees and Red Sox, Garrett Cole and Chris Sale. Now, obviously, there's a lot of season left. Oakland can rally and get one of the wild cards. But there's a little bit of a gap now between the two East teams and Oakland. Oakland is missing Chris Bassett. They're missing Ramon Laureano because of the suspension. They've had troubles in the late innings because Lou Trevino has just not been good of late, which you can say, of course, about the Red Sox closer, Matt Barnes. But the way it appears now, as long as the Red Sox straighten out and it appears that they're going to, then they should be fine. They've got a tough schedule ahead. This is the start of a 19-game stretch with this Cleveland series against teams at 500 or above, but down the stretch, it gets a lot easier. Their final seven games are against the Nationals and Orioles. So the Red Sox should be in decent position. As I said, they've got to get the bullpen, the back end straightened out. They've got to get Barnes back going again is how that translates. And Saturday night, certainly they na- navigated it quite well. Ottavino closed it out, but ultimately they're going to need Matt Barnes. One encouraging thing Saturday, J.D. Martinez Brilliant game. Finally, he had been slumping. He had been slumping against sliders. He hit a slider for a single and a pitch that was described as a cutter but might have been a slider for a three-run homer. It depends how you look at it. So that was a good development too. And then there were the Yankees. So the Yankees, obviously, that 13-game streak was everything that they thought they could be when they made those deadline moves. And with their pitching straightened out and Kluber coming back, hopefully healthy and effective, They, too, look like they're in pretty good shape down the stretch. 
Now, I guess one question fans might have is, can either of these teams catch Tampa Bay? Obviously, that's their goal. There is a little bit of a gap, as we've mentioned. And I don't know still, Tim, that people understand just how good Tampa Bay is. If I told you the Tampa Bay Rays were second in the league in runs scored only behind the Astros, you probably would be surprised. But that's the reality. Zanino going into Saturday night, 27 homers. Brandon Lau, 30 homers. Orosa Reina, a 998 OPS since the All-Star break. Franco, of course, the brilliant rookie, 27 games in a row getting on base. Historic stuff there for a kid like him with such little minor league experience. And Nelson Cruz, don't forget him. He hasn't hit for average, hasn't really been on base since joining Tampa Bay, but seven home runs in his first 104 at-bats. And I haven't even talked about the pitching, the pitchers that they have coming off the injured list, and the potential for Shane Boz, who is dominating AAA, to potentially enter the mix at some point. I don't know that they get caught. And I would expect right now that they're going to win the division, barring some kind of change of events in the next month. But right now, these three teams look pretty good and pretty well set up for playoff runs. Don't know that it will end up that way, but they're all quite strong. And while they all have things to navigate and get through over the next month, I expect that they're going to do so. And a Red Sox-Yankees wildcard game would be, I mean, it, it brings you back to the Bucky Dent game, right? That wasn't a wildcard. Obviously, it was long before the wildcard, but it was the one game to advance. And, of course, Bucky Dent with the big home run. But we will see plenty of that home run if the Red Sox and Yankees uh, meet in the wildcard game. Although, as of right now, it seems like it would be in the Bronx, not Fenway. Right. And we could get ready for those flashbacks as we get into September, but... That would be, yes, very reminiscent of that. That was a tiebreaker because there was no wild card back then. And remember, the Yankees had come all the way back to catch the Red Sox, and it was quite a thing. certainly was. It's it's remembered in both cities differently, that's for sure. Um, All right, let's move on to the mailbag. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved in the mailbag next week, it is easy. First of all, you can call us, 646-543-7072. We love that. We love hearing your voices. Or you can just email us at tabaseballshow at gmail.com. And the first question, Ken, is about the New York Yankees, although it has nothing to do with what they're doing on the field. It's all about facial hair. It's from Michael, who's an unfortunately, he says this, unfortunate Cubs fan. I don't know if he can still be that these days, but but it's been a rough year. You Michael won the says, World Series five years exactly. ago. Spare me. Exactly. You're not a lovable loser anymore. All right. Uh, the question is, I have always wondered what's the deal with the New York Yankees facial hair policy. I understand this was a big rule for the clubhouse under George Steinbrenner, but for how much longer can this go on? I always found it humorous when the Yankees signed big free agents like Johnny Damon, and he had to come in and cut his long hair and beard, even recently trading for Joey Gallo. Are there other clubhouse rules from other teams we may not be aware of? I'd love to hear about them. First off, Michael, the Yankees instituted this policy in 1973. And yes, it was under George Steinbrenner. And remember, George Steinbrenner's son still runs the team. And the Yankees, for whatever reason, seem to think this is a policy that they want to keep. Seeing these guys clean shaven is always a source of amusement for me. Remember Garrett Cole? And Rugnet Odor, I did not even recognize him when he joined the Yankees because he had had that big beard 
And yes, Gallo is the latest of them. Now, going back, if you remember, Mattingly defied it. Mattingly, of all people, defied that thing and really fought Steinbrenner on it. But yet, Mattingly had his own facial hair rule with the Marlins in 2016. It lasted only one year. Joe Girardi had one with the Marlins as well. The Reds had a policy against beards until 1999, but they don't have it anymore. You ask me if there are any rules we don't know about. If I knew about them, I'd be happy to share them, but there are rules that I don't know about. So that's what I have on this very crucial issue. All right, good stuff. Well, we have another one that also, another question that connects to what we were talking about off the top, and that is the wild card. Uh, comes from Bob. He says, has or will MLB baseball ever considered a two out of three wild card series? With the way the one game and done exists today, it seems like the best team can be eliminated for various reasons beyond good baseball. Example of weather, maybe their number one pitcher just clinched the wild card berth and is not available, but could be in a game three. Think how exciting a 1-1 series would be for fans and the team for a team to beat you two out of three in my mind deserves to be there a one game series not as much bob not only has major league baseball considered this idea the league implemented it just last year now it was for one year only but we had the expanded postseason with the 16 teams and we had a best two of three wild card round and it was wildly exciting in the eyes of many fans it was a cool thing and yes i agree with you it's better than the wild card game the one shot deal I know that's quite dramatic, the wildcard game, and I guess television likes it, but two out of three is fair. It honors the 162 much better than a solo game does. Now, where are we going with this? I think that's what you really want to know. Before we got to the pandemic, Joel Sherman of the New York Post broke a story saying that Major League Baseball was considering a 14-team proposal for the playoffs, and that proposal included... Yes, two out of three wildcard rounds. What would have happened and might, might happen if they get this into the next CBA, the best record or the team with the best record in each league would get a bye. The two other division winners and the wild card with the best record, three other teams, they all would host all three games of a best of three wildcard round. That was the proposal. Now, it was never adopted. It was never implemented. The pandemic got in the way, screwed up the entire postseason. Now, the union does not like the idea, or at least they say they do not like the idea of an expanded postseason, fearing it would lead to less competition during the season. Teams would find it easier to get in. I'm not so sure that's actually true, but this is going to be a bargaining chip. It's a huge bargaining chip, but I do expect at the end of the day here, and the day could be quite long with the labor negotiations, but I do expect that there is going to be an expanded postseason, and I do expect it's going to include a best of three wild card round. Yeah, I think that the fact that they got the trial run and it was so successful makes it almost an inevitability. Um, all right, first voicemail comes from uh, Tim McKnight. Good afternoon, gentlemen. This is Tim McKnight from San Diego, California. I am a long-suffering San Diego Padres fan from the original year, 1969. Um, it's been great to watch. Over these last couple years, the emergence of a of a brand new core. I wanted to ask you about with the need for a change in our leadership. Um, our manager, Jay Singler, I personally believe 
it's a faster, he's probably cost us four or five wins with his choices, with his strategy on managing both bullpen. But uh, I just wanted to know your comments on it. Thanks. Tim, thanks for the voicemail. And you raise a question that is beginning to circulate around Major League Baseball. Is Jace Tingler the guy to get the San Diego Padres to where they need to be? Last year, this was not an issue, right? They had a good year. They played well. Even in the DS against the Dodgers when they got swept, it was a great year for the Padres. This year started off great as well. They have lost more players to injuries, more man games to injuries than any other team. So we have to keep that in mind. That said, there have been some issues. The Dodgers series, there was a big issue in the long game that surfaced after a missed or failure to implement a double switch. I'm not going to go through all that here, but a lot of fans were upset by that, and it raised a lot of reasonable questions. As for his future, the question is, will A.J. Preller, as general manager, abandon someone who was his hand-picked guy? A.J. Preller already has hired two managers. Andy Green was one, failed. Jace Tingler is the next. Jace Tingler was a guy that A.J. Preller had known a long time from the Texas organization. It's believed he has another year on his contract through 22, so all of these things would seem to suggest that he's going to get another chance, and they'll take this into next season. But you never know. If the season ends without them making the playoffs, and if it ends kind of in a bad way and the players quit on Jace Tingler the way they seem to quit on Andy Green, then you have a whole other issue surfacing and perhaps some real questions. Now, Jace Tingler is a guy, like a number of recently hired managers, who didn't have a whole lot of experience. Never played in the majors. Did not manage above rookie ball with the Rangers. Was only a major league coach for three years. He wasn't necessarily someone that you'd say, wow, plug and play, here we go. He was a guy who was going to learn on the job to some extent, and he has learned. Whether he's learned enough, whether he is the man to get this team to where they want to be. That's for A.J. Preller to decide. But again, if A.J. Preller decided to move on, that would be basically saying that he's made two mistakes in his hirings of managers. GMs generally don't like to admit those kinds of mistakes. I guess the one thing he'll have going for him is the state of the roster right now, right? If you're going to admit that you hired the wrong manager, at least you can step back and say, but look at all the players I brought in. These guys are in good shape, at least as, oh, as sure. far as job security goes. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, next voicemail is about the a uh, rival of the Padres. Hey, this is Taylor Plant. Uh, question to Ken Rosenthal. If he doesn't sign with the Dodgers, where will Max Scherzer end up in free agency next year? 
Taylor, I wish I could answer these questions with any degree of accuracy. It's a great question. And because you're a Dodgers fan, I'm just going to give you the landscape that the Dodgers have in front of them because it's really quite appealing or interesting from Max Scherzer's perspective. They've got a ton of money coming off the books. Kershaw, who I expect they would re-sign. Seager, Jansen, Chris Taylor, and Trevor Bauer, who knows what the situation is going to be with him, whether they get out of the contract, whether they have to pay him if he's suspended into next year. What I'm saying is they should have money available. Max Scherzer clearly had a preference for the West Coast when he was traded. Free agency, all teams can bid. I would expect he'd prefer the National League. Why wouldn't he? Assuming that a universal DH is not on the way, in which case it wouldn't matter. But the Dodgers are a great organization. He's getting a full experience with them right now. I would think they would be one of the favorites. I know the Angels have been mentioned. I know the Giants were in there, certainly at the trade deadline, as were the Padres. I don't see the Padres having enough financial flexibility to do this. The Dodgers certainly will. The Giants certainly will as well. Remember, with the Giants, DeSclafani, Wood, Cueto, and Gossman are all on the final years of contracts, expiring contracts. So they will have the ability to pick and choose. And those are just some of the teams. Others, I'm sure, will get involved as well. But he's going to want a contender. He's going to want the National League, unless it's a universal DH, in which case it doesn't really matter anymore, league. It's going to be a real interesting winner, not just for Scherzer, but for some other veteran big names. Verlander, Greinke, Kershaw, these guys are all going to be out there. And the news coming through this week that Verlander won't be won't be pitching at all this season, which I think was kind of anticipated, but it made it official, so you don't know what you're getting there. Certainly going to be interesting. You mentioned Bauer in that last answer, Ken, and we actually got a question this week about the situation uh, surrounding uh, hey, fellas. Uh, my name is Fred. I live in Los Angeles. I have found this to be such a really, really exciting baseball year with so many ups and downs, plus the Field of Dreams game. However, I'm incredibly disappointed how the sport has handled the Trevor Bauer situation. The Dodgers, MLB, and Players Association, I think all three of them have handled this. I cannot believe he's on his now seventh extension of admin leave and gets paid a lot of money just to sit at home. The question is, is this one of those situations where everyone in the sport knows what's going to happen and they're just not reporting it yet? Or do you really think that the Dodgers, MLB, and Players Association just don't know how to handle this? Fred, you kind of have to step back here and understand the way MLB operates in these kinds of situations. One, they like to let the legal process play out to some extent. Now, this is playing out. The news this week is that the Pasadena Police Department has turned over to the DA the evidence that they've collected, and now the DA will decide whether to press forward with criminal charges. The expectation is that the DA will not do that. We saw in the hearing about the restraining order that this case would be problematic, not necessarily because it didn't happen, but it might be hard to prove, and a DA is not going to want to lose a high-profile case. For Major League Baseball, in the long run, it shouldn't matter, and it won't matter but they're conducting their own investigation. They are seeing how their investigation goes. They are doing that concurrently with all that is going on legally. He mentioned the money. Yes, he is getting paid during administrative leave, but once he is suspended, and I expect he will be suspended, let's use that hypothetical. At that point, 
he will not be paid. And in fact, he will probably be suspended retroactively, in which case he would lose money and would have to give it back or not get it going forward. However it would be, he would lose. Okay, so it's not as if, hey, hey Trevor's beating the system here because he's going to get paid until his admin leave is over. No, with Domingo Herman, they went back, they got some of the money back, and that's how it would work. These things do take time. And would I have liked to have seen the Dodgers at least issue some kind of statement saying they condemn this and that they're not down with it the way the Nationals did with Starlin Castro? Yes, I would have liked to have seen that. But the thing that everyone is saying right now is they're waiting for the process to play out and for MLB ultimately to make its decision. Keep in mind one other thing. I would expect that once MLB makes its call, whatever the suspension might be, that Bauer is going to challenge it. He's been pretty vocal about his innocence in his mind so far, and his attorneys have been aggressive. So that is a factor too. So MLB is going to want to cross every T and dot every I before it gets into the mix here and actually announces something, and then we'll see how it all plays out. But I would not read anything into the delay here. The one thing I've learned covering this kind of story with Rick Garoli and Katie Strang is that this stuff does not happen overnight. It never happens on the timetable we want it to happen. And ultimately, it will be decided upon, and at that point, they'll figure out the money and everything else. All right, uh, one more question related to pitching. Uh, This one from Matt. He's in Kingston, New York. He says, I love the show. I have a question regarding Shohei Otani and the Cy Young Award. Since the award criteria is the best pitcher and not the person who pitches best, How should voters consider Otani's hitting when casting the Cy Young ballots? His pitching numbers are really good. Does 40 home runs for a pitcher put him over the top or not matter at all? It will not matter at all. The award is for best pitcher, and that does not imply anything about hitting. And I don't know that he's going to be a serious factor in this race. One thing that I consider strongly in the years that I'm a Cy Young voter is innings pitched. And he is not at the level some of the league leaders are. He's at 105, and the leaders are generally in the 150s, touching 160 in that range. And he also, while he has a 3.0 ERA, is not the leader in that category. There are three pitchers currently ahead of him there. That would be Lance Lynn and Robbie Ray and Garrett Cole. So while Otani's been great, I don't know that his volume is going to be enough for him to win the award. And I'm not taking anything away from him as a pitcher. What he has done is amazing. I would expect he's going to be the MVP and maybe even unanimous in that regard. Yeah, that's the thing. For the Cy Young, the hitting doesn't matter. But certainly for the MVP award, the hitting, the pitching, the base, the running on the base, everything he does counts there. And that's why I think that's the award for Shohei this year is that MVP in the AL. All right, next question is from Alberto. He's from Puerto Rico. My question is, how do you rank the top free agent shortstops going into this offseason? Alberto, you're going to like my answer because my number one guy right now is from Puerto Rico, and it's Carlos Correa. Now, it's a little bit of recency bias. He's having the best year of all these guys, but I'm going to give you a couple of reasons. He stayed healthy. He's had the back issue in the past, and it's certainly a concern of mine going forward. I'm sure it's a concern of the teams as well, but he seems to be taking care of himself physically at a new level. He's very diligent about preparation and everything he needs to do to get on the field, and we've seen him this year, play regularly without any issue. He's also the youngest of this group. 
he's going to be going into his age 27 season as a free agent. And that, to me, is only adding to his appeal and the defense. This year, and really the last couple of years, he's ranked the most highly of all of them, even ahead of Javier Baez. So Correa, for me, is number one. Brandon Crawford, of course, is signed, so he's out of the equation. Marcus Semien is going to be considered maybe at short and second, but he's been great really this year at second, so his market's going to be interesting. But your question was probably about the bigger guys. The shortstops that we've been all anticipating will be free. And after that, I guess I would go Corey Seager next. He missed time this year with a fractured right hand, but he had the brilliant playoff last year and was off to a really good start. Then he sputtered, then he had the injury. And then after that, Trevor Story. He's the oldest of this group, slightly older than Baez. And I love Trevor Story as a player. The problem is this year, I just question the health. Is the elbow okay? I wrote before the deadline about his throwing issues. He's come on at times offensively, but it hasn't been a classic Trevor Story year. So I still really like him as a player. He should get a lot of money, in my opinion, but I just don't have him as highly as the other two. And then finally, Javier Baez, one of my favorite players, but he can be a little maddening to watch, as Mets fans will tell you. The lack of plate discipline can haunt him at times. He's electrifying at other times. I just don't know that he is quite at the level of the others going into this free agency. Hypothetically, if Francisco Lindor hadn't signed the big deal with the Mets and he was part of this class, do you think, and he also had the season that he's had, which wasn't vintage Francisco Lindor, do you think he would still get a bigger deal than Correa? Or would Correa have caught him with the year he had? Tim, it's a great question, and I don't know the answer. If he had had this year, I would expect that teams would have said, you know what, I'm not sure this guy's a great offensive player. Now, He is a really good offensive player at his best, maybe bordering on great. Correa can be the whole package, and I just expect he's going to do really well. The age, the defense, the health this year, it's all really adding up for him, and of course, he's a dynamic hitter as well. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, let's go back to voicemail. Hey, Ken and Tim. This is Chris from the Olympic Peninsula. I'm a loyal listener and a happy subscriber to the Athletic. I'm curious to know what progress, if any, has been made toward implementing robo-umps. And, by the way, I think you should have a contest to come up with a better term for it, maybe Joe West 2.0. If there's been a recent report, I've missed it. How's it going in that minor league, and how close is MLB to implementing it in higher minors and the majors? And a follow-up, how do umpires feel about it? Chris, 
it's being experimented with and thank you for your kind words first of all and for subscribing how it's going i'm not exactly sure and there have been some issues with it and it needs to be further refined from what i understand i'm not an expert on this jason stark is much better versed on this particular topic but it's going to take some time before they do go forward with it now i kind of like the term robo humps even though it's not an actual robo it's more i don't know a late whatever it is <laughs> but i wouldn't expect to see it next year maybe in time how umpires feel about it it's going to depend on whether they lose jobs if they lose jobs because of it of course they would not like it but i also believe that the umpires are probably tired of getting second guessed because of what the camera angles show and the K zones and all of that. And they could probably do without some of the scrutiny that at times can be unfair at times. Listen, these guys blow it. Like I blow things in my job and everybody else does out there as well. But for the most part, they're really, really good. And it's almost an unfair world for them right now. So I would expect in the future that an automatic strike zone or an automated strike zone, I should say will be, implemented i just don't know how soon jason stark probably also the one to come up with a different nickname if we need one uh, he'll have that out there on twitter i'm sure uh next question also from voicemail hey ken and tim this is aaron from san diego calling i'm currently on my way to the phillies padres matchup this saturday afternoon and i get to see the nola brothers face off i was wondering what is your all-time favorite matchup between family members and what made it so special to you Growing up, I always had dreams of getting to play against my brothers on this stage. And I just think this is a very special moment for these brothers. As always, thanks for all that you do. It, it certainly turned out to be. I mean, this is a week ago, obviously, Ken, before last Saturday. And that was the game where Nola Wright had the no-hitter going for a while and struck out his brother. That's a pretty, pretty good one for Aaron to visit and go see. I love brother combinations, first of all, Aaron. And I can't recall maybe specifically opposing matchups as well as just combinations in general growing up my dad would talk a lot he was a Giants fan first a New York Giants fan then a San Francisco Giants fan to some extent then the Mets came and he became a Mets fan but he would regale me with tales of the Alus, Matty Alou Felipe Alou and Jesus Alou and I thought it was the coolest thing going that these three guys all were major leaguers and had really good careers. So that was one. Now, going through baseball history a little bit, certainly the DiMaggio brothers, Dominic and Joe, those are good ones. Greg and Mike Maddox, Gaylord and Jim Perry, Onus Wagner and Butts Wagner. That's right, B-U-T-T-S Wagner. How about that one? Dizzy Dean and Paul Dean. And I can go on and on. Currently, how about Joey and Alex Cora? Now, they were infielders, major league infielders. Now they're in management. Alex is manager of the Red Sox. Joey is a coach with the Pirates. Roberto Alomar and Sandy Alomar, of course, were teammates and opponents. Corey and Kyle Seeger. So I can go on and on. Tony Gwynn, Chris Gwynn. We could have fun all day. Jared and Jeff Weaver. But those are some of the ones that come to mind. And, oh, of course, one combination that I covered for many years, Cal Ripken Jr. and Bill Ripken. Yeah, and it's always, I feel like, and that's a good one because the teammate factor, right? They're not always teammates, but um, but Cal and Billy for a long time, teammates. Um, the bo- I think you left the Boons out. I did leave the Boons out. How can I leave the Boons out? Aaron and Brett, and of course, their great lineage, the whole family. 
going back to the grandfather, Ray, this stuff always tickles me. And it's just fun to talk about. It's one of the reasons the sport is so great. In fact, Tim, I remember this before the Field of Dreams game, we had a little feature showing the Boone lineage. And then I interviewed Boone right before the game started. And I asked him about the family and the meaning of the moment with the Field of Dreams game and the memories that it evoked. And that is something that really only baseball gives us. The other sports, not to the same level. And it is amazing. Brothers, the, the fact that two brothers can get to the big leagues when it's just such a long shot. And then the father and son, too. And the fact that we've had situations where all of that came together and happened is just, it's so cool. Um, all right. Thank you for all the questions again this week. Another great bunch. If you want to get involved next week, one more time at 646-543-7072 for the voicemail or TA baseball show at gmail.com. Ken, I know you have next weekend off. Congratulations. But you do have a midweek game, right? I do, and it's going to be a really fun one. San Francisco Giants, I'm going out to San Francisco, hosting the Milwaukee Brewers. This is a potential playoff matchup as well as just a really good game, I'm sure, and that will be Tuesday night on FS1. I also shouldn't say you have next weekend off because you're never off. You just don't have a TV game next week. That's right. I'm sure you'll... <laughs> That's a good way of putting it, Tim. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be busy. You always are. All right. Great stuff. Stay with us all week long on the Athletic Baseball Show. Good one coming up on Tuesday. The Braves, of course, have taken off since the trade deadline. And Alex Anthopoulos is going to join Jason and Doug on Starkville. That'll be a great interview. Uh, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Grant Brisby back from jury duty, so you don't have to listen to me and Hunter this week. Grant will be back on the mic. And then Friday, it's Derek Van Riper and Keith Law. If you want to save on a subscription to The Athletic, you can sign up right now for 50% off an annual subscription. Go to theathletic.com slash baseball show. For Ken Rosenthal, I'm Tim McMaster. Have a great week, everyone. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.